So I thought, yeah, okay, too good to be true. Like I'm gonna what move to Mexico, stay during a like worldwide pandemic, and then become a country singer. Like, nah, not gonna happen. Hello, bonjour, shalom, and welcome to Culturally Jewish. I'm David Sklar. And I'm Ilana Zakon. Join us as we explore Jewish art, culture, and identity in Canada. On this week's episode, we interview actor, musician, and Jew of choice, Bobby Goddard. Mama always wanted me to be a doctor But I became an artist and that really shocked her Now I'm interviewing people in the biz, pros, and newish But all of them are artists and they're culturally Jewish Bobby Goddard is a Saskatchewan-born theater artist and country singer who now lives in Mexico where she performs with her country rock and roll cover band, Bobby and the Others. The band is currently doing their second Canadian tour around the prairies. Let's take a listen to one of her songs. I was raised up beneath the shade of a Georgia pine And that's only room Sweet tea, pecan pine Homemade wine But where the peaches grew My house is not much to talk about But it's filled with love And grown in southern ground And a little bit of chicken fry Cold beer on a Friday night A pair of jeans that fit just right Alana, how much do you know about country music? How much do I know? I don't, I definitely am not an expert. I feel like it was one of those things, as you'll hear Bobby say in the interview, when I was growing up, I used to just tell people, like, I don't like country music. That was just, like, a thing that I said, but I don't think it was founded on anything. I think I had this, like, idea of a stereotype in my head of what country music was, And I can't say that I've gotten super into it, but for some reason, and my partner made fun of me for this because it was just so wildly out of nowhere. We went to Maine last summer, and for some reason, I just decided that we were supposed to listen to country radio the entire trip. And he was like, but that's not a Maine thing. And I was like, it just felt right. It's like small town East Coast. I just felt like that was the thing. We couldn't access a lot of channels, and for some reason, we were having trouble in our car to attach it to the... A Bluetooth, and that's how it started. I think there was like a, a bad signal as we were driving, and then I just kind of went for it. And I don't know, there's there's definitely some good stuff, but I don't really listen to it on my own. It's one of those things where in the right place, right time. But I'm sure I would I mean, appreciate watching her perform. She's I looked up some of her videos, and she's really talented. Yeah, Bobby's super talented, but you know, same like you, I, I've never really grown up with much country music or um, admiring country music all that much until I had to move, until I moved to Alberta, not had ah. to move, but until I moved to Alberta, because that is the home, that is the epicenter of the famous Canadian band Nickelback, and I'm sure everyone, there's such a, a hate on for Nickelback, you know, it's, it's either really absolutely... I really don't like Nickelback. <laughs> it, most I people find don't. his voice just, ugh. It's, ugh. Chad, Chad Kroger? I don't like the sound of it. Like, it makes me uneasy in my skin. But anyway, continue. Sorry to all you Nickelback fans who are listening. We're going to lose know how many of you hundreds are of viewers. Yes, we're going to lose them all after they hear this. But it's the same thing, right? So uh, growing up, you're like, ugh, Nickelback, it's so cringy. It's just not my cup of tea or anything like that. But there is a huge loyalty base in Alberta for how much they love country, how much they love Nickelback. I think the only country music that kind of gets me, or at least I really enjoy, is Little Nas X when he was singing like Old Old Town Road. That was a different... Oh, Old Town Road. Old Town Road. That was like a different mixing of, you know, queer and country together at the same time. You know who I did like actually when I was younger? Carrie Underwood. I really like Carrie Underwood because I was a big American Idol fan when I was in high school. 
And I feel like I, I'm not going to lie. It's so funny. I saw this on a, <laughs> okay. I just went in like three tangents. It will all come together. I promise. So my sister-in-law invited me to this Facebook group that I find so funny. It's called Olaf Orthodox Ladies United in Fandom. <laughs> and it's literally okay. just a bunch of like various stages of religiousness. Some people are not Orthodox, but it's just a very fun group. Um, her sister was actually one of the original members or something, one of the first 50 people or something. And people post all sorts of stuff about, hey, like, what do you guys think about the latest episode of this Netflix show or this fringe band or this comic book or whatever? And I remember seeing a comment and I was like, I have to agree with this. They were like, how many of you, be honest, have rocked out to Jesus Take the Wheel by Carrie Underwood? And I have to say, it's a really yes. good song. Right? It really is. Yep, absolutely. We, if we can change it to like Moses takes the wheel, then we have it set for our Jewish audience. <laughs> There's so much wrong with that sentence. But anyway, and I guess, well, would you could say like Kelly Clarkson had a bit of like country-ish influence? She was like rock absolutely. and rock, but I like Kelly Clarkson too. I guess maybe American Idol was like my in for a bit of country because they would do those country weeks on the show. And so I would, I would put those on my iPod, you know. All right. So what I'm getting the sense is we're not the biggest lovers of country music, but we do love Bobby and the others, and her band is rocking it down in Puerto Vallarta and is now sweeping across Canada, Western Canada, uh, and I, I want to see them once I'm back in Alberta. You should. Let me know how it is. Will I wish do. I could see her. She's, she seems awesome. Nice to meet you. I know David, you and Bobby know each other, right? We go back several years now. Do tell. How did you meet? Well, when I moved to Calgary... Actually, Bobby, do you remember how we met? What was the first time? Uh, I think we met at like some sort of schmoozy mixer uh, for an opening night of a play. But then the first time we had an actual like full-length conversation, you we were going to do a show together. And you messaged me and said, would you like to get a coffee? And I said oh, I'm the kind of actor that drinks beer, so let's go to the bar and <laughs> <laughs> we can have a chat. And, you know, I, I do remember that the first time we, we talked and I, I asked you about your Judaism. Do you remember what I asked you? Yes, I do. You said, so what's the deal here? I hear that you're like a convert or something. <laughs> and I said, um... Was that a verbatim quote? <laughs> is that a verbatim quote, David? I, I like hear was... you're like a convert or something. <laughs> David's it may have not been. It may have not been the, the the best way to open a conversation, but I was just so curious because that's what I heard about you that you converted to Judaism, and I, I was I was fascinated because I think I said, you know, why would someone want to carry around all that baggage if they didn't have to? So I uh, I actually tell this story, the story of meeting you and having that conversation, as a way of explaining to people how I relate to being Jewish, how my Judaism feels to me. I use that conversation because um, it's funny. Your, your podcast oh, wow. is called Culturally Jewish, right? Um, and I always tell people, well, if it was possible to convert to secularism, I am a secular Jew, but I was not born <laughs> as one. And they're like, oh, that sounds dangerously right. like appropriation. And I'm like, sure. But I moved to Israel and I taught myself how to speak Hebrew and I you know, spent my first Yom Kippur fasting on my own because I like learned on YouTube how to say the prayers and, and um, my entry wow. into that world was very different. But I use that story, David, because I remember you said to me, why would anyone want to carry around all this baggage? And I started to cry. And David was like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, have I offended you? And I said, no, I just, 
I've been carrying around these bags for my whole life and I didn't know where they came from until I found Judaism. And I all of a sudden had a reason for all these things I was holding in my hands, in my heart, in my head. So how did you come to Judaism? Like what was, did you know someone Jewish? Did you see a movie? I've heard a lot of different stories yeah. from converts that I've met. Like I know someone who watched The Prince of Egypt growing up and that was her entry point. So what was that first moment for you? Is The Prince of Egypt the one that has the like, there can be miracles. It's like, you yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey man, I would, con- I would convert again just for that song. <laughs> um, no, it's actually, it's an even funnier story um, in answer to your question, Alana, because uh, I now live in Mexico. I don't know if David told you that, but um, I'm, I'm Canadian, but I live in Puerto Vallarta, which is on the Pacific coast of Mexico. And uh, the very first time I backpacked through Mexico, I was like 20 and I was going down the opposite coast, the, the Caribbean side and through Guatemala and Belize. And uh, you probably know this, but most Israelis when they finish their army service, they take a big trip. Like a lot of them go to Thailand. Yeah. Some of them go to India. Yeah. And I had met Israelis in, in India as well. But um, when I happened to be in Mexico, there was just like a massive, massive amount of Israeli tourists. I always joke that I met more Israelis fresh out of the army than I met Latinos that, that summer. And so uh, I, I became friends with a few of them, and I was fascinated by seeing all these groups of people speak to each other in Hebrew. And so I actually started learning Hebrew out of interest and, and became fascinated with like Israeli culture before I understood anything about Judaism. And when I got home from oh, this backpacking trip, I was determined to learn the language because I thought it was so beautiful. So I enrolled in a Hebrew course at the Jewish Community Center in Calgary. And not long after that, I moved to Israel to live on a kibbutz. And, uh, and it was in that time that I noticed all these other, you know, volunteers or people that were there, most of them were not Jewish. Or if they were, they, they were not interested in any of the religious aspects of it. Um, whereas I was the opposite. I was fascinated in the family life and in the, the ceremony and the prayer. And so I took my time in Israel to learn about it. And like I say, it was like a self directed conversion, which also I should be clear, in fairness, I, I've never had my mikvah, I have never had a bat mitzvah. Anyone who wanted to say that I am a phony and a fake and that I'm not really Jewish would be completely within their rights to do so. I, uh, that's my disclaimer. I am not appropriating. I just feel a connection to, uh, and I just, and I know that that's who I am. When I heard the first time the story of, uh, of a woman marrying into the Jewish faith and how they say you were always one of us, I was like, oh, yeah, it was in my heart. Okay. That makes sense. So so you lived in Calgary and you also lived in Israel. And I saw as I was, uh, you know, stalking you as one does when we do this show because I don't know you. I saw that you were born in Saskatchewan and then you grew up in Northwest Territories, Medicine Hat and Calgary. So where did the country music thing come from in all of those places? Or was that something from home? That's... I mean, it's funny because people ask me that a lot in Mexico, especially they're like, oh, do you have country music in Canada? And I always, I always laugh. It's like asking if we have Seinfeld. I'm like, yeah, we, we do. Believe it or not, <laughs> we have these fancy things called telephones. Um, so I was born in Saskatchewan. And even though we moved around a lot, my family on both sides 
still lives in Saskatchewan to this day. So my grandparents on both sides were in a small town where I was born until the day they died. And, uh, and my parents are not musical people. So like my father could not carry a tune in a bucket. May he rest in peace. I believe that everyone can be taught to sing. That man broke, he was the exception to the rule. He could not sing to save his life. And it would be, he would try and like, you know, he would sing a, a tune to me and say, you know that song? And I would have to like, like stealthily Google the lyrics to see what he thought he was singing. That That's how out of tune it was. And, uh, and so they didn't teach me, you know, like they didn't put records on. Like I didn't hear a Beatles song until I was 18. Um, my father's record collection that he never touched, but that I found was like the Partridge Family Christmas, Fiddler on the Roof and a Cars record or like a couple of Rush albums. Like there was no musical education, but they listened to country radio. Um, growing up in Saskatchewan, country okay. radio is everywhere. My grandmother was a square dancer and loved like country polka. So I always heard that at her house. And, and then, you know, I, I grew that. up in Medicine Hat, Alberta. I was, you know, maybe 12 when we were there. And I remember I did a karaoke contest at the mall and I sang country music, 90s country. Like, your listeners probably won't relate to this, but my followers will. Jody Messina, Terry Clark, Shania Twain. That was, like, Trisha Yearwood. That was the heyday of, like, badass country girls in the 90s. And you said in an interview that your grandma always said that you could be a country music superstar. Was she your inspiration to pursue it as a career, or did that come later? Oh, my gosh. You, you are good at your research, Alana. That's funny. Um, I did say I that. Try, I try. <laughs> I did say that. Um, she wasn't my inspiration to be a singer, but um, once I started singing, her comment was always, you know, if you just had a denim skirt and the right cowboy boots, you could be something, kid, kind of deal. And uh, it's, it's, you know, deeply Aww. sad to me that she never got to see that because I have the right skirt and the boots now. And uh, I, I weirdly make my living singing country music for foreigners in Mexico. <laughs> so, Bobby, I, I want us to then spring forward right now to about February 2020, if you could remember such a time and place. Um, I believe we were having a conversation earlier when we were doing a show together, and you sort of said your dream was to learn Spanish, to improve on your Spanish, and then to move to Mexico. Well, you finally made that happen in February of 2020. But then COVID hit, and... Trudeau was saying, get all Canadians, you need to come back, you need to return to Canada before the border shuts down. But what, what did you decide to do? <laughs> I was supposed to be there for two and a half months and come home and do uh, Shakespeare in the Park in, in Edmonton with Free Will Shakespeare. And uh, I, I had finally gotten my dream role. They, they listened to my begging and they cast me. I had done about three or four seasons with them and they cast me as Beatrice in Much Ado About Nothing. So I was ecstatic. I was going to so go fun. home and do Much Ado. And that year I was um, in rep with uh, Mackers, the Scottish play. And I was also playing Lady Macduff in, in Mackers, which is one of my favorite smaller roles in Shakespeare. Lady Macduff is the one who tries to save her little chickens from getting swooped. Um, but of course, all live theater was canceled for the pandemic. So I, as you say, David had a choice. Well, I guess I should listen to Senor Trudeau and Regresame, Get Over the Border. But as an actor, uh, my <laughs> options were quite bleak. Um, and as I am unfortunately certain she will never listen to this podcast, my only option was living in my mother's basement 
or staying in Mexico. And um, we function best when there's a continent between us. So I stayed. <laughs> and by it was honestly a happy accident because I had started studying. I took a course in Mexico on how to teach English as a foreign language, which I had always thought about doing as a way to facilitate travel or to be an actor, right? Because we do have, you know, feast or famine periods of follow where we need something to do. And it was just honestly by accident, by pure happy circumstance that I took this course right before the world shut down. And then I started teaching English just before everyone and their dog wanted to work online and was asking me, how do I teach online? And I was like, oh, I just got in under the wire there by sheer luck. So I'm sitting in this horrible, dingy little studio um, teaching English for eight hours a day and then, you know, sitting by a pool in, and palm trees for the other eight hours and, you know, not going out and not seeing anyone and experiencing the pandemic in Mexico, which is uh, very different than what y'all experienced in Canada. I mean, I, at first I was like thinking when you told me you were going to stay in Puerto Vallarta, I was like, this is insane. This is stupid. You've got to get back to Calgary. But then as the months went on and we were all isolated in our homes, I said, you know what? I think Bobby might have made the better choice here. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I know talked... people that like fled to Mexico during COVID to get out of the restrictions. Yeah, we yep. talked, David. I, I forgot on that hammock that my friends ruined we talked for I don't know how long and you said I said should I come home and you said I think you should come home but you know follow follow your instincts I don't know Bob so I don't know what's gonna happen and I was like well my instincts tell me that tacos are cheap so I think I'm gonna stay how long did it take you until you really felt like you belonged in Mexico was there like culture shock at the beginning like was it hard to relate to the people there or you kind of just flowed with it? It's funny. It's, it's kind of like it's kind of like I found my way to Judaism in a way is that Mexico always felt like this place that was a part of me even before I had been there, even before I spoke Spanish. The first time I, I went to Mexico to a resort with my parents, I, I didn't speak a word of Spanish. And by the end, I was, you know, having conversations with the staff after two weeks. And I went, oh, this is my soul place. Like, I don't know why, but. And so I would keep going back there whenever I could get enough pesos in my pocket to go back to Mexico for a few days. So it, it feels like it's inside of me. But the answer to your question, Elena, is really that it's yes and no. Some days I still feel like I don't belong. And then other days I, I still feel like it's, it's my spot and I was always supposed to be there. It just depends on the day. Right. And so then the country music thing started. So I want to hear more about that because to me... The Mexico country music, Canadian, there's like so many what you would think would be contradictory elements to this. So mm -hmm. how did that start? Well, I was um, I had been dating um, a male stripper uh, during the pandemic and uh, and he was not a nice man, believe it or not. Uh, I know shocked. Everyone's shocked. I know that um, that this random male stripper that I met. How did you how did you meet how did you meet this guy in the first place? I did not see his show, if that's what you're asking. Um, we met okay. we met uh, yeah. at a karaoke bar across the street from his work. And uh, and I was basically supporting him during the pandemic because you will not be surprised to know that even in Mexico, the strip club shut down during COVID. <laughs> So I was living in this tiny studio with this awful human who eventually left me. And so I was weeping in a swimming pool. And uh, one of these old um, expats from the United States, this old gringo, 
she was listening to gringa she was listening to like 80s power ballads and i was singing along like mm -hmm. through through abject sobs like <laughs> you left me <laughs> like turn around right so and someone overheard me and said hey you can <laughs> sing and i was like yeah maybe i don't know and they said do you want a rock band and i was like okay <laughs> and then they sent me a text message like the next day and said yeah i mean they had said send me like 40 songs so i started making a list of all these like rock songs that i thought were like cover songs you know songs that i'd seen on the wedding singer or stuff like that and then he messaged me and said what do you think about country and i said hold on don't threaten me with a good time that that is like my dream since i was six years old i wanted to be freaking dolly parton like are you serious and he said there's so much live music here in this tourist town he, he himself had a, has a band, a very successful one, and they're on tour as well right now in Canada. Actually, there's six other bands on tour from Puerto Vallarta this year. It has become the thing to do in the low season in, in tourist Mexico hmm. to come to Canada because all of our fans are Canadian for the most part, so they're, and, and we don't, Mexicans don't need a visa to come here. So it's easier for us to tour in Canada than anywhere else. But, uh, he, he messaged me and said, listen, my brother has a, a country band, um, but he's kind of the only guy doing it. So what do you think? And, and you're a girl too. So, you know, you got that going for you and you speak English. So, and you're going to sing in English and, and all of your patrons are going to be English speaking. So what do you think? And uh, originally he said for the pandemic, he was having trouble finding the musicians he imagined for me and it wasn't going to happen. So I thought, yeah, okay, too good to be true. Like I'm gonna what, move to Mexico, stay during a like worldwide pandemic and then become a country singer. Like, no, nah, not gonna happen. So I decided to have a birthday party. <laughs> That's on such a, boat. a good like tagline. It <laughs> yeah, sounds I always, like a, I was gonna say it sounds like a TV show synopsis. Yeah, before I moved to Mexico to become a country singer, like, can you think of a more ridiculous sentence? Like, well, in my mind, like when I'm hearing this guy speak, if if, if this was happening to me, I, that would just raise alarm bells, right? What's this guy really after? You know, he's trying to like steal my bank account number or anything like that. Did any suspicion enter your mind at all? Oh God, David, you're so cute. You sound like my mother. They just want a green card. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> No, I was not suspicious. I was not suspicious because to me it was all still it was all still this like beautiful sounding adventure that didn't seem possible. And and then I invited my friends on a on a boat, like on a yacht, not a fancy yacht. Like I don't want your listeners to think like I have Beyonce level pesos. It's like a like a crappy but large boat that fit my friends and several bottles of Prosecco. And he came on this boat and saw me singing Whitney Houston. Uh, not the one you think. My favorite one is the, how will I know if he really loves me? And the next day I got a text message, a WhatsApp message with uh, four musicians in the group. And I said, I thought you couldn't find any, any mus musicians, like everyone's scattered during the pandemic. He said, yeah, but then I saw you singing Whitney Houston and I was like, that girl needs a band. And that's how it happened. That's nuts. I mean, I feel like that's a really good inspiration for anyone listening right now to take life literally by the reins. Like you just said, yes, you followed your gut. You moved to Mexico. You said yes to the person offering you a band. Like these are the stories that you hear about. It must've been really surreal for it to happen to you. 
Um, now that you're in, in Mexico and you've been doing your thing for a bit, how have locals been responding to the country music? Are they getting into it or it's still mostly tourist audiences? Oh, that's a cool question. Okay, so where we play, for the most part, we don't get a lot of, they, we call them nacionales, like, like we don't get a lot of Mexican people or local people where we play. Um, but your question about where country music intersects in Mexico, it's, it's sort of funny. I, I have a tribute to country music at a big theater down there called Queens of Country. And it's just me and like a one woman cabaret kind of show. And I sing like all of the classic women of country music, you know, from Shania to Patsy Cline to Loretta Lynn, whatever. And I always say in my tribute that it's the genre that people really love to hate. They love to say, oh, I hate country music. Country music sucks. Like, it's all about losing your dog and your truck and your wife. And, you know, it's garbage and, and it's easy. But my musicians have discovered, because they never played country, they've all been playing music for their whole lives, adult lives, and now they're playing country for the first time. And they're like, dude, this stuff is complex. It's difficult. When they record country songs, they have, like, up to 15 instruments in a, in a studio. There's at least six guitars, from steel guitar to acoustic to rhythm to electric to, um, you know, a piano, a banjo, a fiddle. And we do it all with three musicians and a singer. We have drums, bass, and guitar. So we have to arrange every song that we play as a cover to sound like a country song that's been recorded with a buttload of instruments with only three. So they're learning that it's complex. Oh, wow which debunks the first theory, you know, that country music is simple. And then being that it's the genre that people love to hate, if you know anything about Mexico, there's a genre of music called banda, which has like a tuba and it has an accordion and it is essentially uh, the country music of Mexico. Everyone says that they hate it and they would never put it on the radio, but if you go to any party anywhere in Mexico, everyone is doing the Mexican version of a two-step to banda music. Hmm. Why, uh, why does that divide exist at your place where you work between the locals and let's say the, the Canadian tourists? I mean, that's a, uh, a much larger question for like, it could be its whole own um, podcast really, because <laughs> in Vallarta especially, I mean, we are no strangers to gentrification, particularly in Jewish neighborhoods, actually. So, I mean, that's something interesting. But uh, because Vallarta is so entirely based on tourism, the the restaurants, the hotels, the entertainment industry, it's all it's all geared towards uh, expats or or visiting tourists, usually from from white or Western countries. And so the, the prices and the, you know, hanging out in those places becomes prohibitively expensive for a lot of locals living even in the neighborhood that I live in. I've been there for almost four years. And when I started, it was kind of like the barrio when I moved there. And now it's like has the fanciest restaurants and like new condos every other week. And, and the people, the Mexicans that used to live in that neighborhood are now moving further and further away to be able to afford to live in their own town. Wow. And you mentioned, I mentioned a, a Jewish community there. Are there local Mexican Jews living in Puerto Vallarta or is it mostly expats from North America? I have only met expats and one Mexican um, member of the congregation who's from Mexico City. 
there is a huge population, um, well, huge is relative, but there's a large Jewish population in Mexico City. But outside of that, um, in Mexico, I have not encountered Mexican Jews. Uh, I went to the the only the only synagogue in Bayarta is Chabad, which is another interesting Classic. thing. Yeah, because whereas you know, for those of your listeners, I'm sure know you know that there's a slightly more conservative uh, bent to a Chabad synagogue, and yet because it's the only game in town, they're very welcoming to um, you know to Jew- Jewish followers from any side of the spectrum, right? So, like, I went to Yom Kippur and they left the air conditioning on because it's like 40 degrees and 80 percent humidity, so. Yeah, we should turn off the electricity, but eh, we're going to leave the air conditioner on. So I want to hear a bit about your Canadian tour because you're touring the prairies. Is that now or is that about to happen? That's now. We had our first show actually where I'm, That's now. Where I'm currently stealing this Wi-Fi from is where we had our first show. And it's actually where I grew up. My uncle owns a golf course in a place called Aquadale Beach, which is in the northwest of Saskatchewan. And... Uh, and we played here on Saturday, July 8th, and that was the kickoff to our tour. And how are your bandmates acclimating to Canada? This is this is your second tour or your first tour? This is our second summer tour, but I have all new musicians this year. And so how are they like in Canada? They're freezing cold, Elena! <laughs> even, even with like 25, 30 degree weather, they're still freezing cold? And they're Chilangos. They're from Mexico City, so they should be used to cold weather. I mean, cold being, again, being relative, but they are just like, I have lent them every sweater in, a, in my cupboard and they got their jean jackets on and their leather vests and their boots and their sweatpants. And, but um, I'll tell you what, in northern Saskatchewan, there's this really amazing thing in Mexico when the sun goes down, it's like a light switch going off, right? 630-ish, like you watch it drop into the ocean and then it's gone and it's pitch black. The boys cannot get over the fact that the sun here goes down at like 1130. There's still light in the sky, basically almost till midnight in northern Saskatchewan because there's... I mean, that's very light. Yeah. I don't get that on the East Coast. Yeah. It's a magical thing about the prairies. The yeah, prairies I love are that. majestic. I love that about living wow. in Alberta in the summer. Wow. That's late. That's awesome. Get a lot of sunlight. And Bobby, where else are you going with your band? We are... Tomorrow we're going to uh, Clearwater Lake, which is... Um, there's a few of them. There's one in Manitoba and there, I think there's one in somewhere else, but this one's in Saskatchewan. And it's funny because of the woman who hired us... I'm playing there on Friday and she came to see my band in, in Vallarta and she said, would you like to play at my bar? And I said, sure, that sounds good. You know, my dad was actually born near where, near where you're from. And she said, yeah, I know we're cousins. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I was like, oh, well, that's pretty Saskatchewan for you. you. So how long will you be in Canada then for the rest of the summer? Yeah. The, the band is on tour until September 4th and then, um, because uh, David, you he, better get get yourself over to a concert. We'll be in Calgary. We'll Absolutely. Be in Calgary. We'll be Once in I'm back in Calgary. Oh, great. Um, we'll be in a place called Rosalind. Yes, we should. Uh, There's a big music festival happening in Rosalind with like six bands from Puerto Vallarta. Wow. Well, Bobby, thank you so much. This has been so, so fun. You're so fun to talk to. I feel like we get all sorts of different kind of guests and everyone brings their own energy. I love how you just dove in there, bring in your, your personality and it's super fun to meet you. Thank you. It's very nice to meet you as well. Mucho gusto. Good to chat with you, Bobby. Good to see you. It's been a while since I've seen you, and I, I want to see you in person. So take care and have a great, great tour. Okay. Love you, David. Thank you, guys.
Alana, what's going on in the Jewish Canadian arts world right now? All right. So the first thing I wanted to bring up, I actually was able to attend this the other day, and I am extremely excited about a new initiative in Montreal between the Museum of Jewish Montreal, CLES Canada, and the Siegel Center for Performing Arts. And as my mentorship program was ending, the head of it was telling us that they've been in talks of starting this new thing. And it's called the Montreal Jewish Arts Collective. All three of those uh, institutions have some form of mentorship programs or grants, internships. And the idea is to bring all of the alums as well as new people together because there is such a lack of creative Jewish community in a cohesive way. And that was a big conversation that we've been having is how do we find other Jews that work in the arts? So now we had our, our first event um, on Sunday, July 9th, so this past Sunday, and it was awesome. It was a learn session. So we had a meet and greet, and then there was like breakout workshops. So in advance, you got to pick one. So one of them was like, how do you start a project when you feel like you're running dry of ideas or you know what you want to do, but you don't know where to start? And it was with a devised theater uh, practitioner and we did all these different exercises to learn how to get started on an artistic project, even if you don't work in theater. And then the second one that I attended was all about um, management and like how to organize your project in very concrete ways. There was all sorts of other workshops too. And I met all sorts of people that I had never met before of all different disciplines. And I'm personally really excited about this initiative. I think it's going to change a lot and create a space to meet more people that have that really awkward intersection that you just don't encounter that much. Not in Montreal. I know there's a lot of Jewish artists in Toronto, but um, Montreal, I was the only one in my grade that went to theater school. So where was this initiative when I was still living in Montreal? I'm so jealous of this. I feel like I have to move back now just to, I know, to right? get involved in this. I feel like I, I don't know, like I came back at the right time. Like there's movement happening. Even the museum, the museum's offering so many really interesting artistic uh exhibits and walks and talks and all sorts of stuff. So that's the first thing that I want to talk about. I have more things that I want to give a shout out to. But first, David, what's happening out on in your part of the country? Right. So uh, there's a there's a theater company called Bima Productions. It is Victoria, British Columbia's only Jewish theater. And from July uh-huh. 19th I get it. to Bima August stage. Ex- exactly. <laughs> it like it's a seconds. great name. It's a great name when I heard it. I thought, yes, this is fantastic. So from July 19th to August 6th, they're putting on playwright Carolyn Russell King's show called Absinthe, Bourbon, Vodka, and Sake. Their tagline is, because no great story starts with a salad. And it's happening at Congregation Emmanuel Synagogue. I don't know if you're familiar with that synagogue. It's the oldest synagogue building still in use as a synagogue in Canada to this day. Oh, really? Yeah, and I'll give you a bit of a... maybe I didn't know that. Yeah, go yeah, for it. I, I, I've walked by it on my way to rehearsal, but I've never actually been inside the building. Uh, but that's where they're putting on the show. And, and just to give you a little recap of what the show's about, it's here, here it is. So this person named Kennedy London is a seasoned but jaded playwright who agrees to tutor Parker, the teenage son of a wealthy businessman. And in return, his father will allow London to create a writing program at a rehab center, which she happens to help fund. But the thing is, she has ulterior motives, which will slowly come to light in the show. So if you're in Victoria or the Vancouver Island, come check it out. Again, those dates are July 19th to August 6th. Cool. Something else on my radar is happening in Toronto. It's a brand new thing. The Ashkenaz Festival and Mug and Boys Entertainment are teaming up, and it's called Summer Jam. 
Uh, so it, the lineup already has caught my attention. There's like all these fun names like Chest Fever, which is a tribute to the band, and Jacob's Ladder, Jewish Bluegrass, Gefilta, spelt G-E-F, uh, sorry, G-E-P-H-I-L-T-E. I'm assuming that's kind of some kind of fish pun. Yiddish Funk and Soul. Anyhow, um... Uh, it's going to be happening, uh, at Earl Bales Park in North York. They are free concerts and it's celebrating the 50th anniversary of the apparently legendary July, 1973 summer jam in upstate New York, which was a huge one day festival that drew a crowd that was bigger than Woodstock. So they're going to have all sorts of open air community concerts, including, Southern rock, Americana, Middle Eastern fusion, Yiddish funk, like I said before. So that sounds super fun. I don't think I'm going to make it, but if you are in Toronto or happen to be visiting Toronto between uh, July 17th and August 14th, be sure to check it out. Lots happening from coast to coast. One other thing that I just wanted to throw out there, David, I, I had imagined that you're aware of this, but there is a Canadian Jewish playwriting competition um, that is still open for submission. So if you are a playwright... Um, that is Jewish or you are not Jewish but have a play that has Jewish themes, then you should submit. Uh, the deadline is September 5th. So if you just look up Canadian Jewish Playwriting Competition, there's a lot of different theater companies that are promoting it right now. Just thought I would shout that out in case this applies to anyone who's listening. It's a great idea and I think it happens. It doesn't happen every year. So make sure you get your in play sooner rather than later because if you miss the deadline, then you'll have to wait two whole years to mm. submit for your play. Are you submitting but, with your show? Yeah, I might. You should do it. <laughs> <laughs> put, put you on the spot there. It's okay. I know it's like one of those things where you don't want to jinx it. Then everyone's like, wait, did, did you win? And then if you don't, then you feel like you've disappointed oh, no. every person listening to this podcast. But it's okay. 100%. Yes. Disappointing my, my parents for sure. <laughs> cool. I thank God for my life. Culturally Jewish is hosted by me, David Sklar, and Ilana Zakon. We're produced and edited by Michael Freeman, and our theme music is by Sarah Siegel Lazar. We're a member of the CJN Podcast Network. If you like this episode, go ahead and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us out a lot. To support our work and everything the CJN does, visit the cjn.ca slash donate to make a monthly donation and receive a charitable tax receipt. Thank you for listening. Jesus, it just right.